All right. Good morning, Chapel Hill. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one as we dive into our series again. So if you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you one that you can use uh, to follow along with. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles that they have and you currently do not have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that they give you and uh, enjoy digging into the Word of God this morning. How are you guys doing this morning? We're all right. Happy spring. Condolences on your bracket. (laughs) Mine's an absolute disaster. What a hilarious year for basketball. All right, uh, we are carrying on this morning in our series, House Fires, on reaching out to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to the people around us in life with the good news of the gospel, with the light that God has put in us, and he's called us to shine that light into the darkness. And so for several weeks now, we've been talking about what that looks like, what that means, what does it mean to shine our light in the darkness. And we've been going through this process of these different steps that we've created as part of this journey. And so I want to review with you the different steps that we've looked at way back at the beginning of this series. We talked about praying for our neighbors. And I encourage you, if you may have Just kind of let that slide or something, get right back to it. Pray for your neighbors, engage your spouse in praying for your neighbors, engage your kids in praying for your neighbors and do it. Get God, invite God into that scenario, into your neighborhood and into the ministry, the calling that he's given you there. Pray for your neighbors. And then we talked about mapping your neighborhood Uh, laying out this territory that you're claiming for God, looking at the, the houses around you and saying, God, use us, use me in this place, in this neighborhood, on my street with the people who live next to me and across from me. Then we talked about meeting your neighbors and giving them an opportunity to meet each other and beginning to restore community because we've lost that sense of community in so many neighborhoods in our nation. We've become so individualistic. We hide. We hide in our houses and we don't have that sense of community, that sense of belonging that was there just a couple generations before us and now seems to just be gone in this this culture that we live in. So we're giving our, our neighborhood an opportunity to bring that back. Then we talked about connecting with our neighbors, going a little deeper with them, um, understanding who they are, what are they facing in life, sharing a little bit of ourselves with them, asking them for help, um, engaging in a two-way relationship with them that goes far beyond talking about the weather, talking about the price of gas, talking about basketball scores. It goes deeper than that. And so we want to go deeper, connect deeper with our neighbors. Then we talked about loving your neighbor and the reality that this is the the motive behind everything that we do. This is the energy that we have that that causes us to reach out into our neighborhoods, that gives us that, that perseverance where we stay on this and we keep loving and loving and loving. We want to love the way that Christ loves. We want to love with agape love, love our neighbors unconditionally and demonstrate that for them. Um, But it's got to be real. It's got to be down in here. We've got to connect with God's heart for our neighbors. So we talked about loving our neighbors. Then we talked about identifying people of peace in our neighborhoods. We've heard stories about that, about people who have have found, uh, Chapel Hill people who have found people in their neighborhoods now who who want the same thing that we want. They want to see that community restored. They want to see peace restored in their neighborhood. They want to see relationships build. And and, um, we we can see those people as we meet them. We know who's receptive to this. And God shows us those people and then guides us into what we're going to do with them in that neighborhood. We talked about learning about your neighbor's faith. We talked about that last week. We talked about listening. We talked about asking good questions, about coming to understand what they think about things, what's valuable to them, what is their worldview, those kinds of things. And then we talked about casting a vision of hope. We talked about our story, about sharing our story with our neighbors and and getting over that fear of doing it, becoming very, very comfortable with the gospel message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and how important it is to be ready to do that. In our study of 1 Peter, we'll see soon that Peter says, um, always be prepared. 
always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in you. Because as our neighbors see Christ in us, questions are going to come. I've seen this over and over again in my life, that the questions come. They see something different, and, and inevitably somebody's going to say, what is it that's so different about you? And we've got to be ready to give an answer for that hope that is in us. So we talked about that last week. Now, um, all of these things, if you have missed any of these steps, any of these messages, you can find them all on chapelhillchurch.com. Just go to sermons, click on sermons, and you can pull up whichever one of these that you missed. But please don't let yourself go through this series and then just leave the ones that you missed. Go back and listen to them. These are all valuable parts of the journey that we're talking about. And so um, this, this is uh, the week that we step into um, the, the last two steps. And the reason why you got air quotes with last was because this really is not something that we're just doing. And then once we get through this Sunday, it's over. We don't have to do this anymore. We'll just never talk about this anymore because it's embarrassing and it's hard. And so let's just say, yep, we heard that series. We're good. Let's move on to something else. That's not how this is happening. This is not the end of it. This is just a part of us becoming the people that God created us to be. This is part of us being equipped to shine God's light into the darkness, to love our neighbors the way that he does. These are all just tools to come, in, to come into who we are, to come into our DNA as a church and as individuals and help us as we move forward. But it doesn't end here, of course not. We are constantly presented with opportunities to be a light in this world. And this is just part of an equipping process. So we're going to move this morning into steps 9 and 10. And um, last week, if you'll forgive me, I, had, I said we were doing last week's steps 8 and 9. I believe that's just my own confusion when I made the slides. Um, I knew what was going on in my head, but I got down to uh, the end of, of the previous week, and I was already working on the message for today, and I was focused on the last point on step 10. And so when I made the slides for last week, I was like, okay, well, I only have one left, so it's steps 8 and 9, so that's why the confusion last week. We did 7 and 8 last week. We're doing 9 and 10 this week, and you can correct me later if that's wrong. Um, But step 9 is invite your neighbor. I want to talk about inviting your neighbor this morning. Um, I want to talk about uh, entering into the model that Jesus established for us. He lived this out. The ministry of Jesus when he was on this earth was very much a come and see ministry. That was the model that he gave. He invited people to come and see. And boy, did they get to see. They got to see all kinds of things. They got to see God's power demonstrated. They got to see miracles, healings, even raising someone from the dead. They got to see these amazing things about God's power. And they got to see God's love demonstrated very clearly by Jesus, by his disciples, by his followers. They were invited to come and see, to come and see God's power, to come and see God's love. And this is the same kind of thing that we model by inviting people as well. We invite the people around us to come and see God's power at work in our lives, at work in this world to come and see God's love demonstrated by us, demonstrated by our church, demonstrated by our family, by our brothers and sisters, by the body of Christ. Come and see God's love and power. And so I want to talk about some different, different ways that we can view this in terms of inviting our neighbors. And first of all, I want to look at inviting your neighbors simply to come and see your life We're called to invite our neighbors to come and see our lives. The Bible talks about us uh, being hospitable. It talks about hospitality, the gift of hospitality, the practice of hospitality. And I got to say, this is not about us winning awards for having the best home decor. That's not what the Bible is talking about. Come and see my granite tops. That's not what this is about. That's not what the Bible teaches That's not how the Bible uses the word hospitality. It's not about throwing the most extravagant dinner party. It's not about having the nicest couch for them to sit on. It's not about having the latest model of grill, the $3,000 grill, so that you can show that off when when you invite them to come and see. That's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about us being hospitable. 
Hospitality simply means that you have the capacity, and you do, don't, don't argue back when I say this, you have the capacity to invite people into your life. You have the capacity to welcome people into your life. That's hospitality. It has nothing to do with what kind of show you can put on. It has to do with your heart. Is your heart open to receiving other people into your life? That's hospitality. That's the kind of invitation that the Bible talks about. It means to welcome others. And the Bible even specifically sometimes refers to strangers Welcome them, welcome those strangers into your life. That's hospitality. That's how it's defined in the Bible. And it goes very, uh, very much against or counter to our culture right now. Our culture right now is so fixated on our individualism, on, on just our family. All we've got room for is just our family because we have so many activities we're involved in. We've got to go from this to that to the other thing, and, and we just have no space. We have no margin in our life for anybody else. It's not what the Bible talks about. And when we talk about inviting people to come and see our lives, this is the difference between telling someone about the treasure that we have received And inviting someone to see the treasure that we have received. To see Jesus Christ. To see God's spirit living in and through us. To experience God's power and God's love in our lives. Invite people into your life to see those things. To hear those things. To smell Christ. The Bible talks about us bearing the aroma of Jesus Christ. Invite people to get close enough to smell that, to experience Christ. Invite your neighbors to come and see your life. Next, I want to talk about inviting your neighbors to come and serve with you. Invite your neighbors to come and serve with you. Imagine giving your neighbors the opportunity to see you at your very best. We want that, don't we? And it's so great to invite someone in your life by way of inviting them to serve alongside you in some sort of outreach, in some sort of ministry, in some sort of service-oriented mission, they get to see the very best of you. They get to see us serving. So here's a hard question. Why is it that we only serve with church people? Why do we do that? I think we have to answer that question. That's why I want to invite you this morning to to invite your neighbor, to invite your coworker, to invite your friend into serving with you. Let them be introduced to you and what's important to you by serving with you. Invite them to serve with you, uh, to serve someone else in your neighborhood together. Is there a need in your neighborhood that you know about and maybe your neighbor already knows about too? Connect with them. Serve together with them. Serve another neighbor in your neighborhood. How can you help somebody near you? Serve your community together. There's some great stories and opportunities about this. We've seen this happening in our church recently where there are some uh, Chapel Hill Church families who have gotten their neighborhood to rally around something called the Sheridan Story um, that is supporting schools, elementary schools in our district. And, and these communities are coming together to serve these schools in a very simple but necessary way. We have a lot of kids in our schools who are on uh, assistance for their lunch because they know that their families can't afford to buy lunches at school and they can't afford to send lunch. We have kids in this district, in District 196, who are hungry, families who are hungry. They're not getting enough to eat. And what this mission simply does is on, they've identified who those kids are. And on Friday, when their kids grab their backpacks to head home for the weekend, those backpacks are a little heavier. Because in a very discreet way, without making a big deal about it, someone has taken a bag of groceries and put it in their backpack. And it goes home with them to help their family to carry them through the weekend when their kids are not getting lunches at the school. Something very practical. But there's a tremendous opportunity to invite a neighbor to serve with you in something that supports your community. 
We're doing right now uh, the March food drive for the Egan Resource Center, now called the Open Door. And here is an opportunity to simply do this, to gather food or money, because money goes a lot further. A dollar buys 10 pounds of food if you donate a dollar to the Open Door. We are doing this as a church. You've seen it out in the hall back here. There are boxes there and a big banner to tell you how you can get involved in this. Here is a simple way to connect with your neighbor in a way to serve. To say, listen, there are people in Egan that aren't getting enough to eat and we want to support the food shelf. Would you support it with us? Introduce them to that. Talk to them about that. And then gather as much food, as much cash as you can and put it in Peter's box. Because he loves pie. And he needs a pie in the face. And he needs to win this contest. So put it in Peter's box. Grab the envelopes. Fill them with cash. Put them in the slot by the office. And let's just do what's right and get Peter. All right. Lead your neighborhood, Chapel Hill, into serving a cause that's there, a cause that matters in this area. Um, One of those opportunities that we have is uh, something called Source, and it's uh, you've seen it advertised in the the bulletin. There's information on the slat board about it. Coming up on April 9th, we're having a a conference, a seminar here in Chapel Hill Church that we're trying to invite as many people as possible to. You know what it's about? It's about anti-trafficking. It's about sex trafficking in this area. And you go, okay, well, that's not this area. That's South Minneapolis. That's Lake Street. That's a problem that's not here in Egan, is it? It is. And we need to be very, very much aware of what's happening right here in our community. Because right here in our community, young women and young men, boys, are being forced into sex trafficking. They're being pulled from our communities and forced into sex trafficking. And you want to know the other thing that I've discovered? I've been kind of following this a little bit recently and learning as much as I can. I was at a a great meeting that District 196 put on where they shared a little bit of this with the District 196 leaders and with with local pastors. Um, Here is one of the other really frightening things. Guess where the clientele for this horrible industry comes from? The suburbs. They come from right here. And folks, we've got to be aware of this. And not just aware, but we've got to move and do something about this horrible, horrible disease that has infected our country. And so on April 9th, um, there's um, a conference going on where you have an opportunity to be um, informed as to what's going on. Um, The police, local police will be here to talk about their experiences. And I've heard a lot of that and it is terrifying. Um, And then there will be survivors that will come in and share their testimony Um, And there will be people from uh, agencies that are working here, organizations that are working here to change what's going on, to rescue young people that are being caught in this and and, um, severely abused by this. And so there's more information about that um, on the slat board in your bulletin. I also have these little cards on my person that you can hand to a neighbor and say, hey, would you come with me to this? And let's do something about what's going on in our community. Bring them along to learn what's happening in our community. There are lots of opportunities to do this. Invite someone to a a Feed My Starving Children event with you. Bring your neighbors, bring your coworkers, bring your friends. Um, Invite them into the Union Gospel Mission Thanksgiving food drive that we do here. Um, deliver bags to the homes in your neighborhood. Meet your neighbors and invite them to participate in that with you. There's opportunities with Amnion. There's opportunities with Dakota Woodlands and Darts. There's opportunity with Arrive Ministries where we support refugee families that are coming into the Twin Cities. And this past Tuesday, I had a, the privilege of being at a, uh, an informational meeting for, for local church leaders where we talked about just the, the scenario. What's going on? How do we respond to this? How do we overcome this fear now that's grown about refugees and how absurd that is. How do we overcome all that? How do we respond? And, and we're connected with a great resource in Arrive Ministries to do that. 
You can invite your neighbors or your coworkers or friends into sharing a piece of the garden out here with you. Take a plot and, and get them to, to, to grow it with you, to take care of it with you. As we raise food, grow food for our local food shelf and, and help to feed the hungry here. There are lots of opportunities, um, and they keep coming up in the bulletin, um, on our website, in the outreach newsletter that you get. They're all around you. Invite your neighbors to come and serve with you. Then I want to talk about this one. Invite your neighbors to study with you. Um, I am absolutely blown away by the incredible stories I'm hearing about Bible studies that are popping up at workplaces, in neighborhoods. Um, heard about one this past week where um, uh, one of our, our members has started one at work and, and has, it has really picked up steam and he was able recently to, to broadcast it to his entire company that there's this Bible study happening. You got permission to do that. And now there are more people joining it and, and not just people that are well-versed in the Bible going, yes, I want to I know more, but people who don't know much at all about the Bible are now coming to study together in a group, excuse me, in a group setting where they're learning together. I'm hearing about Bible studies that are popping up in neighborhoods. You're going to hear about one later on, um, a, a story of, of what's happening there. There's so much going on. Invite somebody to see Jesus Christ, to meet Jesus Christ in the Bible. You can start with something like the book of John. That's a great way to start with people, um, letting them see the life of Christ, letting them hear his teachings from the Bible and experience who he is there. There are lots of helpful options online. There are lots of helpful options at, at Lifeway, at the bookstore in Burnsville. There's lots of options in our library of things that you can study together. But invite them to study with you. <clears throat> and then I want to just encourage you to invite your neighbors to pray with you. Invite them to pray with you for someone else. Maybe that's someone in the neighborhood who is struggling. Invite them to pray with you. Um, ask them to pray for you and the things that you're facing. Ask them to pray for something that's happening around you, for cancer or for hunger or something like that. Um, ask them to pray for your kids with you. Uh, you heard from my wife last week about um, how the bus stop prayer has taken off. And what an amazing ministry that's become. Um, and of course, this means that we're going to have to confront our fears about praying and just get over it and do it. Uh, invite them to pray with you. Invite your neighbors to church with you. Chapel Hill, why is this so hard? Why do we have such a hard time with this? Why is it that only 2%, only 2% of church people actually invite somebody to come to church? It's sad, but I wonder then how convinced we are of the value of our church. Do we compare church to a concert or a play or a movie or a sporting event and, and then come up with the excuse, well, they have better things to do with their time? Why is this so hard? Think about your reasons for inviting them to church or not inviting them to church. And remember, we talked about the assumptions that we make. We talked about all that data of how many millions of people in our country are just waiting to be invited to church. Um, coming up, obviously, next weekend is the, the Easter Focus and um, in your bulletin, you have a little come join us card in there that you can use to give to one of your neighbors. If you need more of those, we have plenty more of those that you can take. Um, do use that. Take that opportunity to invite them to come. Uh, Easter is one of those safe times. They know that people are going to church on Easter. Invite them to come and experience our, our Easter service with us. And just a word on that, be patient. Don't give up if they don't accept your first invitation. Don't just give up. Um, let them see that this is important to you by persevering, by asking again sometime. And if they so no, say no then, by asking again another time. But I heard a great story um, this week about, or recently about, <clears throat> uh, somebody who, uh, who just, who tried and tried and tried and there was no response for the longest time. And years and years later, all of a sudden this family is there. They came to church and how God can change the negative responses. And finally, invite your neighbors to follow Jesus with you. They will never receive a more hopeful or meaningful invitation than that one. Jesus invited you to follow him. And he then called you and equipped you. He called us to invite others to join us 
in following him. And we need perspective. We need some perspective so that this doesn't get just labeled as some religious obligation again. We need to understand what it is that we're doing. What are we inviting people to? What are we not inviting them to? We're not inviting them to an event. We're not inviting them to entertainment. We're not inviting them to another thing to add to their calendar. We're not inviting them to meet our weird friends from church. We're not inviting them to experience something that will make them uncomfortable and feel awkward and probably more us than them. That's not what we're inviting them to. We're inviting them to experience unconditional love, to find hope, to hear truth, to find peace, to become a part of an eternal family, to discover forgiveness, to be set free from shame and guilt, to find purpose and meaning in life, to become a light in the darkness themselves. That's what we're inviting them to. We're inviting people to meet God. The problem here is that we often forget that this is our story. We were once invited to the same thing. To see the treasure that God has waiting for us. And he is waiting for them. What will you invite your neighbor to? Step 10 then is guide your neighbor. Guide your neighbor to Jesus. The mission of Chapel Hill Church is to guide people into a flourishing, contagious relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our stated Mission, and we believe that to be true. That's what we signed on for. This is what it means to be light in the darkness, to guide people to the one true source of light in this dark world. I want to look at that for just a minute and what it means to guide people into a flourishing, contagious relationship with Jesus Christ. What does it mean to guide someone? It means to show someone else the way. It means to have an influence on someone else and the direction that they're going. It's as simple as that. And God gives us opportunities every day to do this. No matter where people are at in their spiritual walk, in their faith, no matter how far they are from God or how close they are to God, God gives us an opportunity to move them closer. Those opportunities are around us every day. And we have to understand that to guide is different from sitting in an info desk. We're not called to dispense information. We're called to guide. This is not simply about telling someone where the answer is found or even what the answer is. This is about guiding them on a journey to discover who God is and what it's like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is not about reaching that one-time point where you give someone else some information and they receive that information, hopefully favorably, and, and your work is done. Because that, that that I've just described is planting seeds. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. I want us to look real quickly at a very familiar parable that Jesus told about a farmer and some seeds that he sows. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, we'll read two sections in here. But I want us to focus on something that, that is, has been different for me recently. I've typically focused on the soil And, oh, it's all about whether or not their heart is hardened and all that kind of stuff, right? I want us to focus, as we read it this time, on the seed. I want us to focus on what kind of danger, what kind of peril the seed, the gospel, is in, in this parable. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And while the whole crowd stood on the beach... And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Turn to verse 18. He's going to explain it now. Jesus says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, 
the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now, you may have heard this parable several times in your life. I, I know I have. I certainly have. How often have you considered the risk that the seeds are at in this story? In the church, in our culture, it seems that the most important thing, or maybe the only thing in a lot of cases, is broadcasting the seed. And then the work of the church is done. This is not what Jesus modeled. It's not what he modeled. Jesus invested his life in his disciples. He saw the risk. He guided them during his whole time in ministry. He guided those disciples for three years. This was not a hit and run interaction with them. He guided them. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs this perspective, the one that Jesus presented us with. Not a one-time exchange of information. A realization that the gospel will be at risk for everyone who hears it. World needs guides. Guides. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, he said, go therefore and make disciples. God's looking for people who hear, are transformed, and go on to become disciple makers themselves as they have become disciples and have been guided. And we are those people, Chapel Hill. Back way up to when Jesus started with his disciples. Back in Matthew chapter 4 verse 19, Jesus says to Peter and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That was his goal from the start. To make his disciples fishers of men. And, and Jesus had to show them then how to do what he was calling them to do. And he did he laid his life down for them. He showed them. He guided them into what it was to be disciple makers. Paul refers to us as ambassadors. That's not a one-time assignment. That's a calling. We represent somewhere else. We represent the kingdom of heaven. And ambassadors don't just stop in on another country and deliver a message and leave. That's not what an ambassador does. They live there. They stay. Their lives represent the place that they come from. And we are called ambassadors. It's the same with making disciples. We represent the kingdom of God. We guide with our lives. We shine the light in an ongoing, daily, life-filled way. And good and bad. Good and bad. Jesus told his disciples more than once how hard this could be. How much this could cost them. Luke 14, listen to Jesus' words. I don't think this is one of your favorite verses. Jesus says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's not typically included in our gospel presentation, is it? Listen, last Sunday I presented the gospel here. And there was a woman here who was visiting with us who responded to that and surrendered her life to Christ. I don't know her. I didn't have a chance to meet her. And I don't know what's going to happen with that seed that was planted. And it bothers me. It's hard not to know if it's just going to be snatched away. And listen, it happens there are some who say that, and I don't knock this at all, I believe in what Billy Graham has done throughout his life. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But there are some who say 
that only 5% of those who come forward at a Billy Graham crusade actually carry on in their faith. Because quite often there's no one there to guide them. And the seed's at risk. Our work is not done by simply presenting. God is calling us to guide. This is Palm Sunday. Um, I struggled with that a while back as I was looking at this Sunday and going, you know, typically I just, I focus on the Palm Sunday story and I preach a Palm Sunday sermon and so far this has not been a Palm Sunday sermon. But it was amazing a while back just what God did with this. Um, how strong this realization was for me. What does this have to do with reaching our neighbors? Well, I want you to listen to the story again. You can turn to it or you can just listen. I'm going to read the Luke account in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, I'm going to read verses 28 to 40. This is the Palm Sunday, the triumphal entrance story. Luke writes this, he says, And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem just had this incredible, positive, celebratory tone to it. All these people, a multitude of people surrounding him and calling him king. And it was very bold to declare him king at that time. It was a bold move, but there they were, Hosanna. They were praising him. Things sure changed in a hurry, didn't they? Where was that crowd at the cross. Things looked and sounded very different by that point. Hosanna changed to crucify him. When Jesus faced the cross, his followers faced a choice. And many, many of them, even Peter, chose to turn their backs and reject Jesus instead of face the cost of following him. God wants followers, Chapel Hill. He wants followers who will follow Jesus all the way to the cross and beyond, who will lay down their lives for him. He also wants followers who will guide more people to become followers. And that's going to take more than just our own personal decision to do. It's going to take our lives. Our lives. In this series, we've looked at some of the things that we're being called to give up for the sake of the lost. We've looked at giving up our selfishness, our busyness, our fear, our assumptions, our private faith. These are all things that have to go for truly committed to the identity and the purpose that God has given us to be light in this world. Ultimately, we're being asked to give up our lives to give up our lives to be used by God to shine his light in the darkness. Our position and our purpose are to be our highest values in life. They come from God himself. You are the light of the world, he said. Let your light shine among men, he said. Whatever it may cost. We are positioned in Christ to become like Christ. And let's be honest. 
if we're not laying our lives down for the sake of the lost in this world? Are we really being like Christ? We're not, are we? It's not optional. It is who we are. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Go fish. With our great treasure comes great responsibility. Chapel Hill, go fish. You are the light of the world. I want to remind you of our Good Friday service coming up. And um, I also want to remind you of, of something else. Friday at 7, be here for our Good Friday service. Um, again, it's going to be a great time of reflection like it usually is on what Christ did for us. I also want to remind you of something that we talked about last week, and it's these little cards. And on these little cards is a simple statement. I was blank, and then God blank. And we asked you last week to fill those in. And have them ready on our good, at our Good Friday service to come and commit your story to God. I encouraged you to write your story out so that it becomes easier and easier and easier for you to share your story. I also asked you to do this, and we had a bunch of people do it. I'd love to see a lot more do this. After the service or down here in the library is an opportunity for you to go and state that statement on film, okay? You don't have to be like an Oscar-winning actor to do this. All you have to do is sit there and say the statement. Um, but we would love to capture this much of your story so that come next Sunday, we can share little clips of that with people that are here who need to hear of God's love and God's power, of the treasure that we have found. So do that after the service. If you haven't done it already, just head back here to the library. It'll just take a minute, make your statement, and then you can go, all right? Be here on Good Friday. Let's have the ushers come forward now and the worship team as well. Sue and Tyler are gonna come and share a beautiful song with us. And Sue's gonna share a story as well about what God's doing in her neighborhood and in her. Um, So as they come, let's pray together. Father, again, we come just thanking you for this incredible treasure that you've given us. You've given us hope and you've given us joy and you've given us life. You've given us peace. You've given us understanding that we wouldn't have without you. You've also given us an identity. We are the light of the world. And you've given us a purpose in life to let our light shine before men. Father, make this a part of who we are. No matter how afraid we are, no matter how insecure, no matter how much we lack confidence or think we don't know enough, Renew in us a spirit that says, I am the light of the world because Jesus said I'm the light of the world. And I will shine my light into the darkness because that's what light does. Father, give us the courage to invite. Give us the confidence to guide, knowing that we guide by the power and guidance of your Holy Spirit living in us. We invite you to fill us with your spirit to be used by you. And God, as we move on from this series formally, just change something about this church. Increase the light. Multiply more. You're doing so much and I'm so encouraged by what's happening in and through the people of this church. Keep moving us, God. Keep transforming us. Teach us to fish. To be fishers of men. We commit ourselves to you again. You are our king. We offer ourselves fully to you. Please do in us what you desire, what your will and plan is. We pray this in Jesus' name. God surprises us in 
so many ways, doesn't he? He surprised us when he sent his son Jesus to planet Earth um, as a baby so that we could know who he was and know more about him and know his great love that he has for each one of us. And then he surprised us later, um, as Paul was talking about, when he was announced as king, uh, riding in on a donkey, and the people were shouting Hosanna and uh, waving their palm branches, and they were wanting an earthly king, and they were wanting to be rescued from that Roman Empire, and, um, but they didn't realize that God had a much better plan for them and for us that um, he would be their eternal king and that one day he would lay down his life for them and for us um, on the cross. And, and then later in, in that same passage that Paul was talking about, uh, Jesus surprised us. He was in the temple and he was overturning tables and he was uh, driving out the money changers because they were making his temple something that it wasn't meant to be. And, and the world had crept into them and, and uh, distracted them. And, and, but Jesus didn't want that. He w- knew that God's house was to be a house of prayer where, where God could speak to us and where we could hear him and hear his voice. And, and then later in the word, uh, God s- surprises us and he calls our bodies uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit because he wants to come and live and dwell in us and have relationship with us. And, um, and so as I, last year about the same time I was uh, meditating on the scripture, you know, I've read it a lot of times, but as our church went through the uh, time coming up to Easter and we had the ropes tied, it was reminding us of getting rid of the things that this, uh, the world had just kind of, you know, distracted us and took us away from God. And so I spent some time asking God to do that in my life and to drive out the things in me that, that were keeping me from him and from that relationship with him. And so as he began to do that, I felt like he was speaking to me more and he surprised me again and he I felt like he was calling me out of my comfort zone and he was asking me to uh, have a Bible study in my home and that really surprised me because I'm not a teacher and um, so but I knew that I could trust what he was calling me to do and I was praying about well who's supposed to come and then I felt like the Lord uh, brought to my mind uh, one of my former neighbors and um, so um, I thought well I I don't know if she's going to want to do that with me or not, but um, but I asked her, and and she surprised me by uh, saying yes, she did want to do that with me, and so we spent the summer um, just going through a, a short book of the Bible, and um, we just had a really precious time together, and it was something that was so unexpected, and yet um, I was surprised each week as God showed up and just really took us through his word, and though, uh, you know, I didn't have all the answers to everything that she was struggling with, she did open up about some struggles, and so we grew in our love for God and for each other, and um, we prayed together, and we just saw God work each week, and so I pray that that will continue on in our relationship. So it was just such a great experience, and I'm so glad that I did it. I would have missed out on so much had I not done it. And so my question to you is, you know, what is God calling you to? Um, Is it something out of your comfort zone, or is there just a situation that is just so big that it just seems impossible for you? Just encouraging you that... um, uh, you can trust God and that he will equip you and he equips, equips all of us and he'll do wonderful things in us as we obey him and, and let him have his way in our life. And, and then just so the last thing is just that, you know, it's not a surprise that someday he is coming, as Paul said, as king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, it may be a surprise to some who don't know him, but, but he's coming and I pray that we will all be ready when he comes again. Offered 
we just come to you right now humbly Lord with all that we have and all that we are and God we lay it at your feet and we ask God that you would move in us and work in us God let us hear from you Uh, work in our hearts work in our families in our neighborhoods in our friendships we just give them to you and oh God we are so grateful that you are our coming king and that you are coming back for us Lord and so make us ready for that And may we live for your will and for your glory until then. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace, Chapel Hill. You're dismissed. And please remember to come back for our Good Friday service on Friday. You're dismissed. Have a great week.